Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 121, with Amrit Aluwalia uh, from The Evolution, which is an online newspaper, part of the Modern Campus uh, family. So uh, this is focusing on their recent uh, publication of a uh, annual state of continuing education report has uh, a lot of great information in it um, we go over some highlights uh, but please do go check out the full report linked in the show notes uh, and we talk about just other general uh, kind of current events and issues facing uh, continuing education and uh, just a lot of great resources and things to check out uh, if you're interested or work in this space so do go check out the show notes uh, and uh, connect with Amrit uh, to keep the conversation going so uh, appreciate everybody for listening and without further ado this is episode number 121 a bonus episode with Amrit Aluwalia. All right, we are here uh, talking about a recent report uh, focusing on uh, continuing education, which is something that um, I've just become a lot more acquainted with recently because I went through a wonderful uh, esports management program at the University of California, Irvine. Uh, it was through their division of continuing education. So uh, this report uh, stuck out to me to talk through, and I'm so glad that we have the opportunity to do that uh, here on the podcast, but um, we'll start out as we always do. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself uh, and give a brief overview of your professional journey of how you got to be where you are today. Sure. And Dustin, thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. Uh, my name is Amrit Alawalia. I am the editor in chief of the evolution. Uh, the evolution is an online newspaper focused on non-traditional higher education and sort of the transforming higher ed marketplace. We were uh, founded by, by destiny solutions. Now modern campus uh, in 2012, basically to shine a light on how, how the post-secondary space is changing and how it needs to adapt to the, to the needs and expectations of, of an emerging student demographic. You know, we, we live in, in a higher ed world that's fundamentally different than it was certainly when we launched 10 years ago and, you know, definitely different than it was in the 1950s, which is, you know, in, in some ways what our, what our education system is still designed to serve. So what we wanted to do was kind of normalize that new way of thinking about education, not just around who the modern student is, but also around, you know, how, how institutions need to operate differently. In terms of my own personal journey, um, this has been my career. Uh, you know, I, I came into my professional space launching the evolution. Um, and it's something that affects me personally just because of my mom. Uh, she, when she immigrated, so she immigrated from, from India to Canada to marry my dad in, in 1985. Uh, she had a bachelor's in chemistry from the University of Mumbai um, and uh, then, you know, decided to see the world. So in that sort of two-year span uh, between finishing her degree and, and, and settling down, she became an, a stewardess for British Airways. Um, now, when she came to Canada, she went to the, you know, uh, I guess our, our version of a, of a work center and said, look, like I have a, chemistry, a bachelor's in chemistry. I love math. Uh, I have a huge amount of customer service experience. What can I do? And they said, well, cool. You were a stewardess. So, you know, you could probably work at a diner. Uh, <laughs> hmm. and, uh, and she felt that that, was, uh, that wasn't appropriate or something that she wanted to do. So she went back to school and she, uh, she took her accountancy degrees. Uh, she became a, a registered uh, C CM, uh, CPA um, and joined joined the federal government as an auditor, and that was her thirty year career. And, and I remember, you know, as a child, uh, when you know when she graduated that program, she didn't walk across the stage. We went to Smuggler's Notch in Vermont, um, and that's you know very much been a part of my life is watching her kind of persevere through 
really interesting and unique educational programs as an adult. So to have the opportunity in my professional life to 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 give some some space to adults who who are just looking to to transform their lives, to provide their families a new platform for something greater, uh, it's it's really been one of one of my great privileges to be able to do this work. That's great. I mean, I just appreciate you sharing that personal uh, anecdote that makes this so much more. Uh, kind of resonant in terms of the kind of uh, compelling reason that you are kind of inspired to commit to this work and uh, explore all these topics and certainly play a part in this report, which, you know, I want to make sure we just kind of get right into because there's so much good stuff in here. Um, So it's a report focusing on uh, continuing education and the uh, modern learner engagement gap. Uh, And I think it it was informed by a a survey that you all did. But um, if you just want to quickly kind of explain the report as a whole briefly, we'll we'll be linking out to it. So please do everybody go check out the report yourselves. But if you just kind of want to give a high level overview of it um, and just like how the report kind of came to be in terms of like identifying, I guess, like the need and then like facilitating it and all that. Yeah, well, I'll start with how it came to be. And, and you know, we're going to get into some of the key takeaways later in our conversation. So, I, you know, I, I certainly don't want to give away too much. But, but I'll tell you where this report came from is a fundamental lack of data around this unbelievably important part of the higher ed ecosystem. You know, we talk about it anecdotally. We all have a general sense of what's happening in continuing education, but because of the diversity in the space, because of the the range that separates different institutions serving different kinds of students with different missions, it's very difficult to to have a single set of guidelines or benchmarks or standards um, around what folks are thinking. Now, our publication is squarely focused on what folks are thinking in the higher ed space. So we felt it very natural to, to, to stand at this kind of vanguard of, of, of helping to explain what's happening in this sector of the higher ed space. So that's where we came from. We published our first state of continuing ed uh, last year. Uh, so this is the second edition of this study. Uh, and basically what we wanted to do was, was put some numbers behind the broad trends and the broad themes that we see in publishing this content on a daily basis. You know, we have a lot of, again, anecdotal insights into things that are happening. But with this report, we have the capacity to, to, to really put some numbers behind it and to, to frame out the broader trends with a little bit more certainty and a little bit more clarity. Um, and as far as what's in the report, that's really what it is. Um, you know, we've identified some opportunities for growth, which again, we'll get into. Uh, we've identified some, some gaps. And I think what, what the report's really done, as you've, as you've mentioned, is it frames out an engagement gap that's starting to emerge, or frankly, that has been slowly emerging for the better part of a decade that's really come to a fore in the last 12 months between what a modern learner, regardless of age, expects from their college or university experience and what, you know, we, the institution are delivering to address those expectations. Yeah, uh, I just found it, I mean, it was very comprehensive and very just intriguing. I think the perspectives that you're getting, um, you know, that we'll dig into, like just for uh, just just fascinating to me. But I I think just also some uh, context for people, because I think you know, continuing education, I think a lot of what I was gleaming from the report that sort of solidified, you know, what I imagine is the case at many institutions is that these are these sort of like offshoot arms of like the core university that are branded as the university, but just sort of, I don't know, they're kind of like, you know, the metaphor my brain wants to say is kind of this like black sheet, like there's sort of like kind of, uh, there's yeah. kind of an arm's length there, but they are, 
they give good outcomes to the students that are going there because they're just highly focused. They are you know, typically uh, quick, like certificates that a student could complete and those sort of things. So I guess just like maybe even give that context of just, you know, sort of the typical, you know, division of continuing education at a university and how that typically mm-hmm. is sort of like stood up and sort of, cause I know that kind of is really uh, important context for the kind of conversation, the report. Yeah, no, it is super, super important. Uh, we need to know more about continuing education. I really appreciate you asking. So basically a continuing ed division tends to be a self-supporting arm or a college of, of a college or university um, that to your point sits kind of on the periphery of the organization it's designed to serve the students who aren't served by the main campus right so that's that's fundamentally the point it, it extends access to education into the into the into the community it provides opportunities for folks to get short-term upskilling and reskilling it provides professional development opportunities it provides personal engagement opportunities but i mean let's take a step beyond that continuing ed divisions tend to manage the entire campus during the summertime and christmas so these units often wind up running uh, camp programs for the K to 12 audiences. They, you know, they do the sports camps and the science camps and all those things that bring kids onto campus. They tend to do uh, enrichment programming for senior citizens. So all that Ollie stuff, they'll manage trips to Italy, uh, you know, again at some point. Um, so that's, that's what the continuing ed does is, is basically everything else. Um, and, and it kind of gets to the root of this question of, well, you know, why is it so challenging to to come up with some standardized data on the continuing ed space? Because any given continuing ed division can be doing all that and degree programming for, again, for, for audiences that aren't necessarily served by the, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five on-premise uh, programming offered by, by the main campus. Uh, these are the divisions that tend to innovate. They tend to be uh, really on the forefront of, of what's coming next uh, for higher ed. And again, I promise we will get into some of that because we did identify a few of those areas in the report. But online education came out of continuing ed units. Certificate programming in general came out of continuing ed units. So these are the divisions that tend to be on the forefront of what's next, uh, which, by the way, is another reason why this report is pretty important because in order for higher ed leaders to have a clear sense of where the industry is and where it's going, it's a good idea to keep an eye on what's happening in continuing education. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, like something that I'm I'm like just reflecting on my experience, like it's one of those things too, where like, there's just all these different kind of names for these things, which maybe like, you know, kind of throw people off. (laughs) Like, I think there's, I've experienced like a school of professional advancement and like extension school and yeah, the division of continuing education, those sort of things. So um, yeah, there's a very broad scope of, you know, probably larger than people might uh, imagine that falls into this sort of uh, world that we're talking about here. But um, yeah, I mean, it is just an idea because it almost makes me think it's, and, and I imagine some maybe have kind of merged in this way. Like it's almost similar to like community colleges that end up, you know, being really kind of dynamic and responsive to the needs of, uh, you know, and again, it's just this whole thing that we're still obviously like chipping away at the residue of like the traditional student and the non-traditional student. It's like obviously the new normal mm-hmm. is the adult learner and the person who's coming back who maybe already has uh, some sort of credential. They need some retraining or some specialized training and those sort of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're just doing the good work that any higher ed professional would say is, uh, you know, time well spent and produce, you know, they're producing really great uh, outcomes and everything. But uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, this is kind of the 
the crux of it, and it's probably going to be the teaser, hopefully, uh, if anybody's uh, on the fence for whatever reason, uh, may compel them to read more into the report to uh, get all the, the details. But just for you, like, what are some of the key takeaways uh, from your perspective from this, uh, this report? Yeah, you know, again, I, I think the key takeaway for me was that we're able to identify some of the roots of, of an engagement gap that's emerging between, between learners and the institutions that are serving them. Um, and from, from the report, I think we, we've identified some interesting stuff. So again, you know, we identified this broad recognition for the value of alternative approaches to higher education. You know, and, and bear in mind, the respondents to this survey, so the respondents to this survey are evolution subscribers from higher ed institutions, but it's not necessarily only continuing ed leaders. Um, you know, we had folks responding to this survey who sat in senior executive offices of, of colleges and universities. We had faculty members responding. Um, so it's, it's really a more diverse picture of folks that are, that are looking at the, the higher ed space from a, a range of different seats. Um, so we had 79% of respondents say that their institution plans to add or grow stackable credentialing. We had 74% of respondents say that their, their institution plans to add or grow to my, their portfolio of micro-credentials. Right. So so already we're starting to see this this emerging space of, of how do we think about the academic product in a different way. Right. We had 80 percent of respondents say that they plan to find ways to offer pathways from non-degree to degree bearing programs. So suddenly kind of the the primacy of the traditional academic experience is starting to give way to a recognition that folks learn in different ways and take different pathways to get to these kinds of broader outcomes. We also, interestingly, 76% of respondents said that they have senior leadership support to scale and grow non-degree education, which is amazing. But the thing is, there's this lack of practical support for non-degree programming outside of mission statements and strategic plans that, that's starting to hold back this shift, that, that capacity to, to capture the opportunities that we're highlighting. You know, when we when we asked folks about obstacles to growth, they really could be mostly solved by more actionable support from senior leadership and from the main campus. I mean, things as simple as, as faculty members still being concerned about enrollment cannibalization when when ultimately, you know, enrollment cannibalization is, is a misnomer on its face, because what you're saying is that you'd rather folks not enroll at all then enroll in a program that's kind of designed more around their needs, more around the modalities that they're looking for, the credentials that they want to, they want to access. So I'd say the, the key takeaway to that point is that this engagement gap is really starting to emerge between higher ed institutions and the students they're meant to be serving. You know, learners today have unbelievably high expectations for their experience, both, both inside and outside the classroom. But, you know, colleges just aren't adapting to meet those needs and expectations. And, and CE divisions fundamentally, this came out in the report, CE divisions are not resourced to deliver on those expectations. We, we asked the simplest question we could think of, and, and sorry, maybe I'm not framing that correctly, but we, we asked leaders if they could access the easiest piece of data that we could think of, right? How many students are you enrolling? Mm -hmm. So we asked them, how easy is it for you to, to access enrollment data for non-degree students? And we had 30% of leaders say that they have to ask, you know, either multiple people for that information or they simply can't get it, period. Right? That, that's, I cannot think of an easier thing for, for a business leader to, 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 to be able to figure out than how many customers mm -hmm. you have. 
right? Nearly 60% of respondents said that they can only deliver the experience non-degree students expect with significant manual staff effort. 74% of respondents said that their website should be driving student engagement, but only 10% that their websites were actually, 10% uh, said their websites were actually effective at, at sort of driving retention, driving enrollment, driving registrations. So you see this this divide between, you know, well, we know we need to be doing these certain things to engage the students that we're serving, but we're really not set up to do it. And I think all of this is linked. You know, there's this broad vision, this broad support for the work that continuing ed could be doing or should be doing, but we're not resourcing them to do it. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes me think of like, you know, and many hired professionals will, you know, uh, this will likely resonate with them of like, they're going to get the job done, even if they're kind of like rubbing two sticks together kind of thing. Like, you know, they they care very much about their students and uh, supporting them in any way that they can. And it's almost like this vicious cycle of like, well, I mean, you were able to do it. Yeah. With all these manual processes and everything. And it's like, well, why do we have to like, you know, pay to have a modern uh you know, CRM or something, you know, to like keep logs of students and, yep. you know, who we have and who's on leave or, you know, any of those sort of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that is really the unfortunate thing is I think some people may be presumptive that it's like, oh, I assume, you know, there's an easy way to do this. But then if you're actually like put the task to do it, it's like, wow, actually, yeah, I do need to like ask a bunch of people, wait for them to reply, or maybe it's in sort of a non-user friendly way. You're just going to kind of get in like a raw data dump of like, you know, something out of a, uh, you know, maybe like a student information system, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the idea of like, you know, there does have to be that like core recognition, like this work is important. We want to invest in, you know, the proper tools and platforms mm -hmm. to be able to do this in the most efficient way. And, you know, just the idea of like working smarter, not harder. A hundred percent. Like, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is just, this is something, this is something that really fires me up because this is for 10 years we've been observing this problem anecdotally, right? Like that's, our publication has again and again and again been focused on telling stories of leaders who are doing these phenomenal things, serving their students in unbelievable ways. I mean, you know, we talked about how complex and diverse continuing education is, right? But at its core, continuing education, whether you're at the most elite tier one R1 university you can think of, or whether you're at the local community college, continuing education is fundamentally student-centric. Right? Continuing education divisions, leaders, staff, faculty are squarely focused on how to get the student what they need. Right, But the institution kind of doesn't tend to resource these divisions to do that. You mentioned the SIS, right? Now, we published a, a, an interview some years ago with, uh, with the leader of continuing education at a state university in the Midwest. And, and this individual, we were talking about barriers to innovation. And she said, look, I mean, fundamentally, the one of the biggest barriers to innovation is technology, because one of the, 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 the cost benefit analysis that they have to do when launching a program that they know is going to serve their students is, you know, is it worth having our staff enter data multiple times in multiple different ways in order to run this course or program that's slightly outside the semester calendar, right? You mentioned the SIS. There are, there are continuing ed-specific SISs that would allow them to not even have this problem in the first place, right? To not even have that as a consideration. But when you're sitting there saying, here's a program or an offering or a course or a, pro, or, or, or a certificate that's going to benefit my community, but I have to think about my staff's well-being <laughs> when I'm deciding whether or not to offer it, well, that, you know, you're fundamentally, you're talking about the mission, 
right? What's what's our purpose as a continuing ed division? And that that's that starts to it really bothers me. Because at the end of the day, it's it's the institution deciding that they're not going to prioritize doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, and that, I've just had that experience for sure of it almost kind of uh, getting contentious. And it's like, well, we shouldn't have to be having this conversation in the first place about it being like, oh, it's going to be so much more work and that sort of thing. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's clearly on the minds of people because I feel like that, that's part of what's kind of uh, boiling to the top through this uh, report. And I kind of want to like, jump ahead because I feel like we're covering some of the stuff I wanted to mention, but I feel like we're right on the precipice of like talking through the, you know, of the idea of like, you know, consolidating that buy-in and, you know, uh, making the recommended changes around mm-hmm. the, you know, the tools and the platforms and, uh, you know, any of those more, uh, the more resources need to be given in this space. So like, you know, just from your perspective, like what advice would you give to professionals trying to consolidate that buy-in? Because I'm sure you might just have to, you know, go about it in a couple of different ways, but just whatever you'd want to share, I guess that might be a, uh, relevant here in terms of that uh, advice. Yeah, you know, this is something I've been thinking about. This is something I've been cooking on for, for frankly, I mean, you know, I know we were planning this interview, but this is something I've been cooking on for, you know, charitably a few weeks, but realistically a couple of years, right? Because continuing education's slow move from the periphery of the institution to the core of the institution is something that I believe to be fundamental and central to the future of our industry. Right, like doing this effectively and doing it in a way that that benefits students, still keeps students at the center, but allows institutions, employers, and learners to kind of all get what they need from one another requires continuing education to be a strategic sort of imperative for the institution. It requires continuing education to be front front and center of the future institution. So I'd say, you know, what's the first action item? Honestly, meaningfully engage with your colleagues in continuing education understand the work they do, understand how you can collaborate with them to more effectively serve your audiences. Because one of the things we tend to see, um, you know, during hard times for higher ed in general, is internal competition for adult students. We see, you know, more traditional faculties starting to roll out programming that's non-credit designed for adults, but not really taking into account any of the best practices inside or outside the classroom when it comes to serving adults. It's more just a, a very short-term response to a problem that they're observing. So rather than collaborating with continuing education, figuring out a way to do it well, the unit will just launch something itself. And it creates this, this really challenging environment where, where all of a sudden you have two departments competing for the same person. Right. And if we want to get away from enrollment cannibalization, collaboration is a really good place to start. Secondly, and, and I'd say similarly, ensure your continuing ed divisions are actually resourced to serve their audiences. You know, in, in the most basic terms, continuing ed units should have the technology they need to deliver the experience their students expect at scale. Right. Because the thing is, a student enrolling in a continuing ed offering is not bringing the same expectations or life experiences to uh, to their enrollment decision, right? The barriers to exit are extremely low, right? It's not though it's not as though when they're leaving a continuing ed program or deciding not to enroll, they they have to take transfer credit into account, for example, or they have to take into account, well, what if I took a course here, but I'm gonna have to take it again there. You know, this is an individual looking generally for a short-term engagement. So students enrolling in continuing ed offerings really are customers at their core. Right, and and they can enroll basically in any offering, whether it's a MOOC or a, or a boot camp. Um, so continuing ed divisions really need to be resourced 
to make sure that they can operate like e-commerce leaders. You know, they, they need to be able to bring that same customer engagement because their students are are looking at the institution the same way they look at Amazon or the same way they look at Grubhub or any of these other services. You know, the CE division has to be able to offer an Amazon-like shopping experience. It has to offer this kind of like frictionlessness and personalization that, that's really going to engage students because that's what a modern customer expects, right? They need to create these touch points to engage a lifelong learner because, again, that student isn't just going to automatically enroll for the next term or the next semester and, and sort of plot away at a degree. This is someone who's working. They're trying to raise a family. They're on a career path. And, and the institution really has to take a more proactive role to make sure that individual sees opportunities to continue their education. Right. And here's the dirty little secret. These are not just the characteristics of non-traditional students. It's just that non-traditional students have the agency to walk away. Right. Your traditional age students today grew up with Netflix. They grew up with Amazon. They grew up with Uber. Like these are the standard expectations. So when it comes to what role does the institution need to play in engaging their, their future prospects, frankly, they should take a page out of the book of continuing ed to understand what it takes to be customer centric. And then finally, I, I hinted at the, the lack of engagement in websites earlier. Higher ed leaders need to take a good, hard look at their website to figure out if it's actually doing the thing they want it to be doing. You know, a lot of university websites are basically glorified brochures and, and they have huge amounts of information, but it's all impossible to find, right? Whether you're a, a prospective student, whether you're in, in a currently enrolled student, if you're a parent, if you're an alumni, even, even for staff, finding the stuff you need to find on a university website can be unbelievably challenging. So, you know, we really need to look at, well, what's the purpose of the website? And if you look at, again, any business, that website, you land on it. It knows who you are and it feeds you the right direction that you need to go. That's that's kind of the that's the direction higher education in general needs to go. And again, it really starts with continuing ed because it starts with student centricity. So at the, at its core, these kind of recommendations all come down to the idea of like, what's your strategic plan, and does your strategic plan position your institution to become truly student centric? And if it does, what are you doing to resource the changes you need to make? to be student-centric because without resources, a strategic plan's like a list, it's a, it's a Santa list. It doesn't mean anything. Like it, it has mm -hmm. to come with action. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, I think incredible advice that you're sharing. And I think, uh, cause yeah, that's almost like a fun exercise is having people be like, Hey, why don't, why don't you go and try to register for one of our courses and see like how long it takes you or if you get, you know, kind of like turned around, um, or yeah, like, why don't you go yeah. through our website and try to find blank or something, you know, like little, little, little scavenger hunt and then see if people are like, okay, I got frustrated and gave up or it took me like, you know, like, I guess I was like, how about you guess how long it's going to take you to find this piece of information and see how long it actually takes you. And you're like, wow, okay, we need to like, you know, just reconfigure the website and all that. It's like, you know, it does take some work, but it's absolutely time well spent to make sure that, uh, you know. Again, obviously, you know, the user, uh, the end user, the student is not getting turned around or giving up themselves because they earnestly want to uh, enroll in this course or those sort of things. And I know I can speak to my own uh, experience going through this recently that like I followed through and taking all four courses for the certificate because it was super easy to register and like get everything done and all that. So, um, yeah, you just have to like address those friction points. And then certainly like the idea of identifying specifically like the tools and platforms and things that you might need uh, to do your work. If you're, you know, professional that's working into con uh, continuing education. I know like it's just been swirling and coming up in a few conversations is like, you're saying like, Hey, we could really use this tool and this is why here's the cost. And actually it's going to be like 
something that benefits all of our students. So really, if you cut that annual cost by the thousands of students that we support, it's kind of like dollars per student. And if we retain a couple more students because we're able to support them better, then, you know, it kind of sort of paying for itself or something, you know, like you you have to kind of like calculate those equations Mm -hmm. and really make that kind of compelling uh, case for things. And um, again, that idea of like tracking where it's saying like, hey, actually, you know, we've increased our enrollment by this much since we started using this tool or like we've uh, surveyed students to say like their satisfaction with our level of service has uh, gone up since we allowed for them to be, you know, doing these processes uh, through like self-service and not waiting on, you know, manual, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, responses and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this is all like the right things for people to be thinking about and uh, talking about and, you know, even just that idea, like what you were saying of like kind of senior executive leaders kind of coming to the table and just like information gathering, like come as just the person who's like, I, I want to learn more. Like don't be presumptive and prescriptive without really, you know, coming and just humbling yourself before you're continuing ed professionals and being like, <laughs> you know, how are things going? What do you need? You know, and all that, because yeah, again, and it, it's often this, this sort of like Island offshoot that you might just be like, well, it's there, they're doing their own thing. They're fine or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, maybe they aren't talking to you because you're not like opening the door or like kind of pulling out a chair for them and being like, please come. I want to hear, tell me what's going on. Cause I know, I mean, just even in like our personal lives, it's like hard to be like, Hey, I'm just going to like unload all my stuff on you. Like, I don't care if you want to hear it or not. It's like, it's so much more like, you know, powerful when somebody's like, please, I want to know how truly are you doing? you know, tell me everything and all that, like they're just opening up their arms and sort of just letting, you know, letting that kind of come through um, and not kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't know, forcing it or something. Let me, let me add on that. Cause the thing is like you mentioned a number of metrics, right. That that you could look at to see where your ROI is in a technology purchase. And let me add another one, which is a little harder to calculate, but maybe a little easier to observe. And it's how is your staff using their time, right? If you're going to become a high touch, high tech environment, how are staff able to use their time and energy to engage your learners? Are they doing these manual, repeatable processes over and over again? Are they basically doing glorified data entry? Or are, to your point, right, you mentioned self-service. Are students able to do the basics of what they need to do so that when someone calls the office or when someone you know, sends an email, it's, up, it's about something that actually requires human intervention and action? We saw there's one school, we published a piece a few years ago. There was a school that they, they implemented a new system. They implemented a C-specific SIS, and they saw enrollment go up. I think revenue grew something like 30% in one year because not only did they have kind of the, the capacity to deliver the experience that students were looking for, but they also had the capacity to, to reframe the way that their staff members were using their time and effort to actually execute on outcomes that, that really were meaningful and impactful for the business. That was um, if you go to the evolution, look up Temple University and check out the piece that we did with them because it kind of dives into how they leveraged this balance of sort of technology, strategic planning, and senior leadership support to really start to deliver these kind of high-end outcomes that, that really benefited everyone. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, I mean, and I, I love that you, uh, it's one of my favorite kind of like uh, turns of phrase of the uh, high tech and high touch of, uh, yeah, the idea of technology sort mm. of augmenting 
and you know not like replacing it's 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 augmenting and and yeah, absolutely like allowing people you know these hired professionals to support students who truly have something that's really like super unique of like oh i have these like transfer credits and you know you've got to kind of vet them or do something else it's like it's just something that requires a human being and then there's all these other things that can be uh, sort of automated and that sort of thing. And, and yeah, the idea of like, well, is, is it really that you want, you know, these staff members to just be, yeah, like data entry specialist or whatever? It's like, well, then change the title because that's that's all they're doing. You know, like, is that, is that really what you want them spending their time on? Or do you want them like building rapport with the students and building community and like, you know, tracking mm -hmm. uh, trend, like not entering the data, maybe like tracking the data and like, you know, making some informed decisions and, you know, problem solving and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, all, all just really great stuff. I appreciate you like sharing it and your your enthusiasm for all this. It's just uh, so great. And certainly, yeah, I mean, it, it segues right to like getting into uh, the resources that we always love to share uh, for each topic like mm -hmm. that uh, uh, blog post that you're mentioning from uh uh, your all site. So um, anything else, I guess, from from your kind of library of content that you'd want to uh, make a uh, note of or just other like books, podcasts, articles, stuff that's like grabbing your attention that's uh, relevant to this topic that we could share out? I mean, I'll, I'll never turn down the opportunity to plug stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I mean, obviously, visit the evolution. It's evolution with three L's dot com. The three L's are for lifelong learning. Um, you know, it's it's really a treasure trove of content. Uh you know, we, we publish articles and interviews daily by folks talking about how higher education is changing and transforming. The work coming out of the Lumina Foundation right now, uh, especially the Stronger Nation report that they publish, is really an amazing resource to get an honest and unbiased look at how we're progressing towards our attainment rate targets. Um, and spoiler alert, it's not great. You know, uh, and really, I think that the difference can be made up because we, we need to get to a 60% attainment rate by 2025. We are mighty close to that date and we are pretty far away from that target. Uh, and in some states, it's, it's looking kind of dire. So uh, I'd really say that, you know, check out the Lumina Foundation Stronger Nation Report and get a sense of, of where your state is because high quality certificates are a great pathway to improving the attainment rate, preparing people for middle school jobs. Um, on our website, again, on moderncampus.com, uh, we address some of the concerns that we brought up around the, the engagement gap. If you go to our resource center, we have a, a white paper diving into the idea of what, you know, personalization and career pathways actually looks like in a post-secondary environment uh, and how to address that. So that's moderncampus.com uh, and then visit the resource center. I'd also really recommend getting engaged with some of the associations that, that advance continuing professional and adult education. In particular, the evolution has relationships uh, with three associations focused on this space. Uh, there's the Association for Continuing Higher Education, uh, the Council for uh, Adult and Experiential Learning. Uh, so that first one is uh, ACHE. That's ACHE. Uh, the second one, CAEL or CALE, uh, the Council for Adult and Experiential Learning. Uh, and then there's NCET, N-C-C-E-T. Uh, which is the National Council for Continuing Education and Training. I mean, these three organizations are doing amazing work to bring together uh, continuing ed leaders from across the U.S. and Canada to help divine some some best practices and and some some collaborative efforts to to transform the, the continuing professional ed space. Uh, I would check out the work of those three organizations and consider a membership as, as sort of the first step towards closing that engagement gap. Yeah, I always just love hearing about uh, professional organizations I didn't know existed before, just one for my own uh, benefit, but also just like, I just love that there are people out there that get to like nerd out and geek out about like professional education <laughs> all the time, like, you know, and share that knowledge out and uh, all of that. And um, 
I mean, I don't think it's like necessarily like wholly exclusive to like higher education and like at large, but just like uh, the idea. Yeah. Like there's all these organizations, but just how much is sort of like, you know, people are just sharing their knowledge and kind of showing and telling and uh, all this good stuff. So yeah, always great to know more about uh, those organizations and uh, we'll link out to all that and all the other stuff uh, as well. But um, yeah, we'll close out as we always do. Just any final thoughts or calls to action on this topic that you'd like to uh, end us out on? Oh, that's that's a dangerous question, my friend. Um, okay, yeah. First and foremost, talk to your continuing ed colleagues. You know, don't don't make assumptions, as Dustin's rightly pointed out. Don't make assumptions about what they need or want. Actually, talk to them to to get to the the bottom of of where their business is and where it needs to go. Uh, download the state of continuing education survey. Um, you know, it is a piece that we're really proud of. But again, it's it's one of the very few data sources on where this industry is and where it's going. Uh, and finally, again, subscribe to the evolution. So that's evolution with three L's.com. Uh, we publish articles daily by higher ed leaders, really, again, talking about how the industry is changing, how institutions are adapting to keep pace. Um, and it's a really good bellwether for getting, you know, getting a sense of where our industry is and where it's going. Um, so, you know, I'd say those are, those are the three actions. All good stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, just thank you so much for all that you've shared and the time that you've given us here. Uh, definitely just a really important topic and one that uh, is increasingly kind of uh, coming to the forefront of my mind and uh, especially so after uh, reviewing this report. So uh, thank you for working on it and sharing it out with the world and uh, all the work that you and your team uh, continues to do here. So yeah, again, just thank you so much and uh, appreciate your time. Absolutely. The pleasure is all mine, Dustin. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.